Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder this podcast deals with adult content, so if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Today, the letter is K, and K is for kinky. People who are identified as kinky are those who practice sexual activities that are outside the norm. Now, this is really the most broad definition. And we'll get into, um, I think, uh, a, a better definition later on in the show. Joining me today is Galen Fuss. I'm sorry, I've pronounced it wrong already. <laughs> Galen is a sex-positive therapist and kink sex educator and researcher. His focus includes sexual authenticity, sexual honesty, kink, and power exchange sexuality, and helping people to engage their wildest sexual desires free from shame. He's done research with over 2,400 people on developing their personal erotic sexual myth. Welcome to the show, Galen. Thanks for joining me. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, Thanks for the invitation to, to hang out and talk. Yeah, it's a great. Can you give me a better idea of your focus? Um, just before we started, we were talking about sexual identity and looking at a the sort of fetish sexual identity and the idea that sexual identity is broader than simply gay, straight, or bi. Yeah, we're in an unprecedented era, I think, in the history of civilization in terms of the amount of sexuality that is emerging from what I'll call the sexual unconscious, you know, that, that it's, I think it's been there all along, but it's been held down, uh, kept back, uh, unexplored, you know, I call it the erotic wilderness area. It's like this vast wilderness of the sexual psyche that most people have been afraid to venture out beyond the well-manicured, acceptable sexual uh, interactions, you know, that the, the normal, quote-unquote, normal range uh, of culture uh, or the culture identifies as normal. Mm -hmm. But that's not what's really accurate or true about authentic sexuality. And as we're discovering, seeing through all sorts of media and social media groups like FetLife and such, that there is this pantheon of sexual identity and, and also that they appear, occur in pairs uh, in, the, in, the, in the collective uh, realms of uh, the psyche. Uh, there are dyads, you know, i.e. in this uh, range of power exchange, you know, it's daddy, daughter, master, slave, dominatrix, uh, bitch boy, uh, on and on and on, teacher, student, you know, there's all kinds of archetypal pairings that seem to already be embedded in the collective that individuals then 
uh, are innately and born with, and then are able to find matching counterparts through now with internet and social media that would never have been able to discover each other before. But because the platform is there now, all these obscure, you know, from more mainstream to obscure ranges of sexuality are actually being able to bond and pair and mate and uh, form communities and sub-communities of, of a larger thing. So it's quite a phenomenon. So my interest is in authentic sexuality mm-hmm. uh, and supporting people to embrace that authentic sexuality and then untangle all the shames, fears, judgments, or actual traumas that they might have experienced that is now interfering, basically, with their authentic sexuality. I don't believe that these developmental experiences create one's innate sexuality. They more influence and repress and hide it and hold it back and thwart it. So this is the work that I do with people is untangling uh, those resistant aspects and help them claim and identify what's authentic uh, for them sexually. And with then the sub-terrain under that for me of my focus is uh, alternative sexuality, i.e. kink, uh, DSP, DSM, power exchange oriented sexuality. So what I find really interesting about this is that um, I guess from my view, these things have always been there. There just weren't easy ways for people to connect. And so... Mm groups and communities and smaller groups and couples it, it found each other, but it was all pretty much underground, not necessarily because it needed, I mean, some things needed to be underground, obviously, because the culture of the time wouldn't allow, but some things were simply underground because they were outside the norm and people had no way of expressing easily what it was they were doing. But now we've got the internet. And we've got this huge explosion of people looking for people who are like them, not just in sexuality, but in all sorts of areas of life. And so that's interesting to me because I, I feel like it's always been there, but now there's the possibility of actually connecting with others. It, it, it makes most people carry this isolately within themselves thinking I mean, it's always there. It's a shock now to many people like, wow, there's others like me. I mean, I have a survey, a research survey I do called Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth Survey, which is like about a 40 question uh, survey that helps people drill down deeper into this erotic mythos that might be involved, especially after they're drawn towards power exchange oriented relationships, which by its nature defines uh, a pairing, you know. Uh, in this power exchange, there's one side and there's uh, the other, and they are both unique archetypes that then have their own body language, tone of voice, attire, props, setting mm-hmm. that are pertinent to their personal erotic myth. That's what drives them to orgasm or other deep erotic state. But in that uh, survey taking, uh, one of the common responses when people offer uh, their uh, response to having taken the survey is, my God, I never knew uh, I was not so different or that there were others like me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is really an amazing, it's wonderful uh, to have this opening up because most people carried this to their grave over the centuries past, you know, never realizing that. And also because of our sex negative culture, people were afraid to even share with, even with their most intimate partners, what 
this their sexuality really looked like? Well, I'm still dealing with that with people. I mean, I'm still dealing with people. I regularly get individuals come into therapy because they are at this place where they are desperate to express what actually turns them on. And they are desperately afraid to share this with the partner that they've been with for X number of years who has no idea that this is what they're into. Um, or I get couples where one person's come out and the other person um, is having issues with it or having difficulty with it. Um, and all of that is, is often around shame-based stuff. So it, 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 it's what I call sexual authenticity disorder. Hmm. I've defined my own disorder because of, uh, I guess, if uh, the sex addiction and, and porn addiction can be thought of as a disorder and not be in the DSM, uh, I, I'm creating one that's not in the DSM either. But I think it's a, I, don't know, I think it's a pandemic in the culture. Sexual authenticity disorder, as I define it, is the fear of revealing or others discovering the true nature of your uh, authentic sexuality. And then, and that fear is palpable. People are terrified in many cases to be discovered in what they uh, are secretly pursuing. So that's what happens when you have sexual authenticity disorder. The sexuality doesn't go away. It simply goes into shadow. And there it sneaks, hides, lies. It's out of integrity with its agreements, with its partners. It feels guilt-ridden. And the shame burden increases every time they act out or step out into some often high-risk behavior that jeopardizes either their life or someone else's or their career or their family, their status in the community or church or business, you know, so this is a, this is a terrible situation in our cultures of what's sexual authenticity rots in, uh, out of our fear of being sexually honest, basically. So you, know, you see this endless stream of politicians, celebrities, sports figures, busted in in their uh, excursion into their authentic sexuality in a way but sneaking hiding and cheating so boom then there's this fall from grace and uh, all this mythos keeps that's just the tip of the iceberg of every the everyday culture of what's going on but do you think that realistically even now people can actually come out and be authentic in certain segments of society i mean i, I mean I think, you know, we make choices. So for many years, I was authentic with my partners, but I certainly wasn't going to be authentic mm -hmm. in public, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have had a conversation like this in public and, and said anything about myself because that was, in my view, too much of a risk. Um, I'm not saying there aren't risks now, but it's I'm, I'm at a place in my life where I'm authentic. That's how it is. I'm authentic full stop. I'm authentic yeah in my life. But do you really think that we're at a place where people can be authentic outside of just their relationships? No, it's very, it's dangerous. And it looks like it's going to get more dangerous uh, coming ahead if things are, are unfolding as they seem to be. But I think what's important is first for the individual to claim it for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, claim, I talk to people and tell them, look, your sexuality is your birthright. You have every right as a human being to bring this to the table. You know, we sex has been the bastard of personality for 
millennium. You know, we have uh, we embrace and adore uh, intellect, spirit, creativity, and emotion, and talk about that, and it's researched and studied. Uh, but sex has always been the bastard in the back closet that you know never gets invited to the table, never gets to be first or included or thought of as important. You know, it's always the last to uh, be looked at if looked at at all. So. The important step is first embrace your uh, and understand, explore, identify, and claim what's your authentic sexuality. Then how you share that in the world is your personal right to choose how you do that. You have the right to privacy. It's nobody else's business what your sexuality looks like unless you choose to reveal it. You know, and that can range like for myself, I'm out 24-7. I'm totally out there. You know, there's no... I'm totally transparent in what I do, and I, that's a rare thing. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to do that. That's why I've taken on this mission to advocate for uh, sexual authenticity and your birthright to be who you are sexually and sex, being sexually honest and healing from shame, fear, and judgment, etc. Uh, this is important. We are at this era where, like we talked to earlier before we began about how the, the therapeutic and academic views are 25 years behind the curve of what's going on with sexuality. So there's a lot of work to be done to help educate and help people understand and, and demystify what is really a, a beautiful, ecstatic part of your life from being so shameful and terrifying. I, I mean, I agree. One of the things that I find really interesting in working with people um, and talking about, you know, so often people don't, not only don't they claim it, they don't know how to describe anything about their sexuality. They haven't looked at it. Um, and, and in talking with people about discovering sexuality, when we talk about things like power exchange, it's like, well, power exchange is in every relationship, there's a power dynamic. In every single relationship, there's a power dynamic, full stop. What you decide to do with that, how you decide to enact that power dynamic, whether you decide to make it stated and actually deal with the dynamic that's there and make choices about that dynamic is what differs, not whether there's a power dynamic. If you're in a relationship, there is a power dynamic in your relationship. You may not be agreeing a power exchange, but there is one. And it's that sort of thing uh, that as though that's so far from the norm, but in actual fact, it's an integral part of all our relationships. So it's not really that far from the norm. No, I think it's in, it's kind of natural uh, that, things fall into place if you're in relationship. I remember when I was uh, in college, I learned about who's mess the messier person never cleans up. It's always the, the least messy person can't handle it anymore. And so they wind up cleaning up, which would be a mutual effort, but they outlast you in the uh, messiness uh, category. So uh, this is... Uh, yeah, I, I lost track of our uh, where our thought was right there for a second. Bring me back. Well, the um, idea the idea that um, in every relationship there is a power exchange, there is a power oh, dynamic. Yeah. It's just when you're talking about BDSM, you're, you're you're talking about a stated power exchange, a negotiated. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hypocrisy, uh, really, to come down on on D on people engaging in kink and power exchange uh, when. Uh, it's so evidently at play, oh, mostly in shadow and, you know, in the egalitarian relationships. So we're equal. We do things equally, but somebody has got the power and, and, and is dominating at least certainly some, they might some dominate one side and somebody else dominates part of the other thing, but there is, uh, 
a lot less egalitarianism in everyday relationships than people want to note, I believe. No, I agree. And what I find interesting about that is the idea that, I mean, when you actually sit with people and you say, okay, so do you do things by consensus? And they go, no. (laughs) Why would you do that? It takes so much time. It's well, actually egalitarian relationships require that you do things by consensus. So who's in charge, you know, and, and, and that, but the whole idea of the shame involved in, in actually, particularly, I see more shame in heterosexual couples, actually, who choose a power exchange with a dominant male and a submissive female now than ever before. Yeah. Because somehow that's incorrect. I'm sorry, go ahead. Because because of the political incorrectness of it. Yes. Yeah, it's become politicized uh, in in really uh, ways that have disempowered both sides in the equation, really. uh, And again, there's about just the fear of talking about sexuality as a part of that. But also, uh, I wrote an article, uh, I haven't published it yet, and it's also kind of referenced in a chapter in my book, Decoding Your Kink, about uh, what to do with your nice guy when she begs for your bad boy. And it's this phenomenon over the last 30, 40 years of uh, the pendulum swinging towards, you know, women's equality, all of which, I mean, all great things were occurring in that, in that era about, you know, in terms of women's equal rights, equal pay, equal opportunity, uh, all, all advancement, all of those things. And also male aggression and uh, non-consensual uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, assault and all that, you know, was brought to the light and those were all good things, but it also came in a way at the expense of, uh, primal masculinity, uh, you know, an innate inherent, uh, way that the masculine, uh, is, and actually that women want. And that's why we are getting this era now where it, it, I hear it more and more frequently from women, my clients and other here's talking about I need him to I need him to ravage me you know I need to be taken I need him to push back and I can't just he's gotta you know they, they want their man to step up this is more talking about not generally in the culture but in partnered relationships mm-hmm. and so the what Robert Bly identified he was a he's an American mythologist and poet as the soft male uh, began in the in the 70s and 80s era of uh, men who are really nice men, sweet men, lovable men, tender men, uh, but they did not have this edge to them. Mm -hmm. And if they asked for it even, it's like, I can't, I I respect you too much. I couldn't do that. Or so women are getting really frustrated uh, at this uh, sexually anyway, uh, so it's an interesting phenomenon now where, as you said, for people to embrace this, you talked about couples, you know, and the shame they have in this and the obstacles, you know, so I, I see that women frustrated that they, you know, they want to be slutty, dirty, nasty, uh, not, nor their normal sexuality, if it involves kink like that, they, they have an edge to it and they're, it's much more challenging for the men now in a way to step up and understand how they can this is what I talk about paradox. You know, they need to understand how they can be both uh, a sensitive, caring, uh, negotiable, you know, consensual 
man and a great partner and doing their lifting the their share of the the load of the, the life they have and also be this uh, dominant erotic sadist uh, primal beast you know most it's like we live in this monotheistic culture so everything is black or white good or evil and so our sensibility can't quite understand oh and that's what we've usually shamed you know slut shamed and, and everything about sex men and women slut shaming sex shaming generally uh that can't be right up there with being going to the pta and church on sunday and being in the community you know they uh, so people need to learn that oh i not only i can be both i am both mm-hmm. and then you understand how do you now hold this intense energy in a way that's in honoring your agreements and your your respect for each other's humanity and love and care and connection to each other while you're going off into these intensive erotic explorations of absolute can be, you know, ruthless, tyrannical power exchange, you know, reduction of one and elevation of the other, which has these incredible uh, erotic intensities. That's why people seek them out because on the sexual side, that's, it's very potent and, and the right, it is their right to express that, learn how to express that in a safe, conscious or risk aware way. And so really it's, it's learning to be able to, to sit in that ambivalence, which we don't do well. <laughs> across. Well, it's also about understanding how to differentiate the two. I look at it as, as a ritualist. I, I participate in, in what I call rituals of mm-hmm. uh, these ex- power exchange relationships. You know, I am a lifestyle dominant, you know, my partner is my submissive in life and also, uh, in the interim. So I put the, the DS is one side, BDSM is the other. You know, it's kind of like the yin yang of Eros, mm-hmm. sacred and profane. On the DS side, the sacred side, you know, as a dominant, I aspire to the archetype of the king. Or if you're a female, it can be the queen. queen. But the archetypal energy of the king is the one that blesses. Uh, brings joy, sets the vision, keeps order, inspires, you know, can witness and draw out of someone something they can't even see themselves, you know, that uh, light, you know, it lights them up, brings them to life, you know. So these are very noble qualities uh, of the dominant that can be brought, you know, one can aspire to the, those highest qualities mm-hmm. of, you know, being in integrity, being transparent, being uh, and keeping your agreements and, and all those uh, aspects. And the submissive can aspire to service and devotion and surrender and selflessness. Again, all both very noble paths in both those directions, you know, to step up to your leadership. It, it, it takes uh, work, you know, and practice and, and intention. So that's the, the noble side. And this is where the heart to heart is and the negotiation and your connection and your, you know, soul to soul, uh, protection of each other and care for each other, all of that is the place to build around what I'll call the inner chamber, which is where the erotic BDSM, all the taboo, forbidden, inappropriate uh, realm is, you know, in an erotic context. So when I negotiate with my partner about things we might do in the inner chamber, you know, it's from that outer place where she knows no matter what, I'm going to protect her. She's mm-hmm. safe with me. She has exit ways and, and things where we're going to stay connected because it's like a dance. You know, it's a good DS BDSM is like a dance, like the tango. You know, you're in this uh, step to step, you know, step by step 
together uh, journey, you know, and that's one of the key principles, I think. But once you protect, set up this protective realm, this safe realm, this trusting realm, you can step into and go off to the edges of your wild, profane, uh, inappropriate, taboo, kinky, uh, sadistic, masochistic desires. Uh, and uh, with trust, because it requires an incredible amount of trust and intimacy to, to step into these deeper edges of your kink. So I was talking, I mean, one of the things that, that stands out for me when you're talking about that is that you're talking about um, making shadow visible and, mm. and, and actually embracing shadow in a container rather than um, having shadow be something that's been pushed away such that somebody has to act out of shadow in a way that's unsafe and, and uncontained. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terrible situation in our world of, not having knowledge of our personal and also the collective shadows, you know, as countries or religions or movements, no, none of them want to own their shadow. And so they all are carrying the righteous flag, like we're the good guys and we're this. And in the meantime, their actions are totally sadistic and uh, tyrannical. And uh, But in the name of God or freedom yeah, or whatever, human rights or something, you know, they're, they're being brutal and, and belligerent and it's it's a so yeah this is an exercise in taking your personal shadow that generally is going to leak out in the world you know uh, in some way or another because it's 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 a real part of who we are uh, and this takes it into a, a a ritual enactment where I can yeah I can be the tyrant I can be the motherfucker I can be a total fucking asshole and just be totally unfair and just ruthless uh and be loved for it by my partner. It's I mean, it's an amazing part of me is, is experiences profound kind of tenderness at the same time I, I'm in, in my beast, so to speak, because I'm witnessing my partner beg for more or welcome me, or I can, you know, we're in this Yeah, So it's a, it is a relief of the shadow in, in many ways. And so would you say, would you agree that it that's one of the reasons why it is so port, important to build that container, to have a way to build that container so that, you know, that those people who spend the time building the container well, so that there's deep trust and, and, and deep understanding and agreements and commitments are able to go actually to the furthest edges because they have, have that container built. Well, they go to the safest edges in return. Other people, if they don't build that, they can go to those edges, but they might not return so well, right. or, okay. or you know, there enough. might be more work to do uh, after they come back from that. Right, you that's know? fair enough. Because we are also, here's the other thing about this, as much as we're engaging uh, in an empowered way, these shadows in a way that's ritually safe, quote unquote, we right. uh, are also going to encounter our all that resists Mm -hmm. that expression too sooner or later you know uh, it's uh, often well I'll, I'll counsel people when you know if they're just beginning and they they okay i'm going to go experiment with this to be prepared a day or two later that they're going to get hit uh an attack is going to occur by all the parts of them that for decades have resisted them expressing their authentic sexuality because those parts have dominated literally one's authentic sexual expression. And they are like sub-personas that are going to be upset 
that what their sec the sexual part has stood up to them and uh, take is taking power back. So they're going to come on with guilt, shaming, fear. I mean, they talk about sub drop or dom drop. I think mm -hmm. some of that is this this attack of the this. Oh, you're horrible. That was terrible. What do you do? You know, just all the judgment and all the the, the stuff that's decades accumulated isn't going to go away overnight. So. If people need to be, the more aware people can be of what operates within them when they do this, the better they can journey. I mean, these are also opportunities. The stuff is up because something wants to be worked on there, you know, that's something is still not wanting to be uh, on board, you know. So I tell people, you know, it's really their responsibility. You got to be advocating for your sexuality and you got to protect it and defend it and tell those other parts sometimes, shut up. You know, next two hours is just for her or him, and and we'll come back to this conversation. Otherwise, it's just constant barrage of. Well, one of the things, kind of, one of the things I like that you're saying is that is that as you talk, you talk about teaching people to really look and interact and feel and pay attention and and work with and that so often I see people who get involved in various kinky activities with no thought, not just no negotiation, but little thought, little consideration mm -hmm. internally as to the impacts. They look at the physical impacts. They don't look at the, the potential psychological or emotional impacts. Mm -hmm. And so not only are the, the, the opportunities for growth lost, if, if it, but then you get people freaking out and, and feeling damaged and, and a lot of that just because they haven't done their own personal work. Yeah, this is very complex territory and requires mature adult insight and behavior to do well. You know, so and like you said, pe this means people, the more you do your personal work, recognize that, oh, I've got wounds or I've got shadows around my sexuality or I've got triggers. This is why negotiation is so important to as best you can, uncover uh, the, the triggers, you know. And so a lot of this is around languaging, I find. Of, uh, so some very important, especially if you're into any kind of humiliation or edge play uh, and degrading uh, languages, you need to clarify and get clear with someone that they're not wounded in one of these major areas of body image, uh, intelligence, femininity or masculinity, uh, worthiness, uh, race, mm -hmm. uh, religion, uh, or other, you know. And then I, you know, need to get explicit with that. So like, in other words, you know, intelligence. So if I call you a stupid cunt, uh, is that cool or no? Yeah. You know, I mean, and some people go, oh, God, that totally turns me on. And other people go, you say that to me, I'll kill you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, this is like the distinctions that need to be made because uh, surprisingly some people do get off on some very degrading language that might surprise someone that, that they would do that. But the truth is, is that uh, I, I could go into why that might be, but that's my point here right now is, is about um, these are edge play, you know, the emotional part you talked about, the protections there need to be looked at is very important because these are where we are carrying our, our damage yeah. parts, you know, around still if we haven't worked through them. So, I mean, I've had 
even with negotiation, then there's what I call the landmines. Yeah. You know, uh, that can happen, even though whether how well you work through all the things and you think you both covered all the bases. Uh, I've said, you know, so one phrase I remember saying that triggered somebody was, did you think I was going to forget? In a, in a context we were in and boom, she went back to five years old. It as it turned out as we kind of unpacked it later of her mother catching her doing something or, or didn't she didn't do something she was told and then she got all hell broke loose. Her mother went kind of crazy on her. So this was, uh, you can avoid a lot of that if you do kind of a good negotiation and really get clear about languaging and, and be aware of your own, you know, learn to be as transparent as you can about your desire. If I want to be uh, use degrading language, you know, if I don't say that and I'm just hoping, well, they don't, I don't want to bring it up because what if they say no? And then I'm in the scene and I try to kind of in the heat of the moments throw something in, which is I think what happens in a lot of people's cases about these consent issues. It's not even so much that they were like deviously waiting for the moment. It was just like it was a little they couldn't quite speak up to the truth of that. Yeah. And then their shadow part is going to sneak it in because it totally wants that. Yeah, and then you end up in these situations. I like that you you know landmines. I I totally recognize that with people, and and spend quite a bit of time talking about you know you can think you know all your triggers, but there's a reality here. We never know all of our triggers, and so you do the best you can, and then you have you but you need to have a plan of action in place in case you get triggered. What are you going to do? It's not the end of the world. It doesn't have to be a horrific thing, as long as you know what you how you're going to be dealing with it, and that that's a personal responsibility. It's not just left on the shoulders of the dom. And that's a mature, again, I talk about, you know, conscious, mature, you know, adult behaviors, you know, re required here. You know, I mean, that's my experience is, yeah, you, anything. It's great, really, when something a trigger happens, as I look at it, because that's what my work is or, or stuff. Because right. that's, I think people should wait. Great. Something's up. Let's look at it. But as you said, it can be as simple as if you're just stay present, you know. Stay connected. It will stay. Remember that. Stay in your breath. Take a breath of something happens before you open your mouth and just get back here to clarity and, you know, simply ask, so what do you need right now? Yeah. You know, and let them have the option. Uh, you know, it's either, oh, something came up. I got it. I don't need to work on it right now. And we'll talk about it later. Let's go. Yeah. Or boom. Oh, this thing just hit me. And okay, great. Let's stop. And just, is that up right now? Do you want to open up into that? We can shift gears here. And this is what I believe, you know, the power of ritual is. Ritual can handle that kind of shifting gears. It isn't like, oh, no, I don't want, you know, I mean, this is like, be excited if your partner or you, something opens up that you can, you know, this is, again, back to the first thing. If you've built trust and care with your partner before you entered into that you know you guys can self-support each other and handle uh whatever comes up uh i mean and then the, the okay and if it comes up and you go into it a little bit and it's like well this is too intense then yeah seek professional support to to, to handle something if need be yeah so can, where can people find you if they want to find you 
Well, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, over on the Alberta district. So if you're walking around here, uh, we might run into each other. But my website is galenfoos.com, G-A-L-E-N-F-O-U-S.com. And all the information about my work with individuals and couples is there. Uh, my book, Decoding Your Kink, Guide to Explore, Share, and Enjoy Your Wildest Sexual Desires, is there. And information about taking the Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth survey is there, which is a research that's starting to map out the uh, kink psyche in a way that I don't think anyone else has been uh, paying attention to. So it's a very, uh, it's for the individual, it's very informative to help them drill down and get a bigger picture and understanding of the scope of their own sexuality and also what resists or holds back or the, the ways they've been uh, wounded or, or shamed around it and, and uh, such. But that is compiling an amazing data set of what the collective uh, is starting to look like in terms of kink, the psychology of kink. Well, you know, so one of the interesting things about that that's revealed by the 2,500 people is so roughly 40% of the people who have taken that survey state that they're arrows came alive before 10 years old and that they were masturbating mm -hmm. to fantasies. Maybe they couldn't ejaculate even yet, but they could orgasm and they could get pleasure from these specific fantasies, i.e. being abducted or tied up or uh, whatever the case might be. So there's a lot of things that go against the, the grain of a lot of common thinking about what sexuality, especially in children, you know, in our youth development stages of one that's really coming alive uh, as well as uh, you know I think an in, it's interesting something about 85% felt that watching porn improved their relationships with their partners or improved their sex life with their partners only 15% thought it had a negative uh, impact so these are not what you kind of here in the, the mainstream thoughts of how devastating porn is and uh, ruinous. I mean, I think it is compulsive behaviors are very problematic and can lead to a lot of things. But compulsive behaviors are a category of their own and they're not, they're not as a result of porn or anything else. They're compulsive behaviors. Yeah. The they're missing is, something else yeah. that's going on. Yeah, something else is going on underneath. Um, yeah, no, I, David, Dr. David Lay talks about that um, quite clearly about the the reasons for unpicking using the term porn addiction and 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 what the problem really is. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. I mean, compulsive behaviors cause loads of problems, but it usually isn't the the item that causes the problem. It's yeah. what's causing the compulsion underneath that's the issue. Um, and that's what I, back to the beginning of what I said about, this is what I think is being missed in this broad brushstroke of sex porn addiction is what I call sexual authenticity disorder. Yeah. Many of these people are just simply wanting to be who they are sexually and their partner doesn't allow it. You know, it's not uh, compatible or offensive. And this is also part of the, the discover your personal erotic myth survey. Part of the method, the intent there is to help people bring this into the initial negotiation with someone they might want to partner with, you know, to learn like, yo, first date. So yeah, I like 
this, this, and that, tied up, spank. How about you? You know, I mean, get it. If they're gone, oh, then don't don't date in the in the in the pond. That's you know. So that's the other thing is if the you're going to be kinky, don't go to the 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 gym or the bar or the nightclub and think you're going to find a partner that way. So to prioritize prioritize sexuality and prioritize sexual interests when you're choosing a mate, which I think is fabulous advice. I want to yeah. thank you for joining me. Um, it's been a great discussion and I hope you will come back and talk about some of these issues further in the future. Yeah. I think we just got revved up a little bit. Indeed. We look forward to doing that. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of Sex. Do write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at a to Z of sex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X.com. And visit both websites, www.a to Z of sex.com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal lasting intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute session with me, head over to www.a-to-zofsex.com and click on the button that says book now. Please join me next week when the letter will be L and L is for love. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.